Do you enjoy our podcasts? Help us to be able to continue creating quality content by visiting our merch store at store.another12.org. You'll find some great merch there, and the best part about it is that a portion of every purchase goes to support the work that we do. Welcome to Drippings from the Honeycomb, the official podcast of Another 12 Ministries. We are so glad that you have decided to join us as we enjoy the sweetness of God's Word, one verse at a time. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of our journey through the book of 1 Peter. In this episode, we're going to look at a verse that really has to deal with emulating the example that Jesus left for his followers, left for his children here on earth. The example of his life and how he lived and responded to a sinful society, a sinful world that wanted nothing to do with him. And our passage today is found in 1 Peter 2, verse 20 through 21. And it says this, it says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Now, before we jump in deeper to this, it's important to understand the context that this verse is written in. We're still in chapter two. We're still sitting on that foundation of the spiritual milk, which is the foundation for chapter two and even the whole book of First Peter. But Peter continues to build on being mature believers. As mature believers who ingest the spiritual food, you will be able to act and conduct yourselves in ways that glorify God and are a witness to the world around you. Your testimony will expand because you are filled with this spiritual food. And so we're going to keep referencing back to that passage because that really forms the foundation of everything Peter is telling the Christians in his churches to be. He's giving them really difficult instructions, and he knows that none of that will be possible for them if they are not filled by the spiritual food, filled with the Holy Spirit, motivated to obey God and his word. And so everything that comes after his instruction to be diligent about feeding yourself spiritually is resting on that foundation. And this verse that we're looking at today, it comes in the context of instructions for slaves. So in order to understand that, you need to kind of understand what the life of a slave looked like in the Roman Empire when Peter's writing this to the believers that are scattered around the Roman Empire. Slaves in the Roman Empire were not necessarily just physical labor slaves. There were slaves who were quite educated, quite skilled and talented, who were very necessary to society in terms of the skills they provided, even things like medicine or law or critical services that took a degree of education to obtain, and yet they were not free. They still were bound to a master. And so when Christianity crashes into the culture of the Roman Empire— a Christianity that, as we looked at in the last episode, preaches a message of freedom, a message of freedom in Christ. Now, all of a sudden, this idea that each person is responsible to pursue this relationship with a loving God who has come down and purchased salvation for them, this idea flies in the face of a very solid basis of slavery that existed in the Roman Empire at this time. There were an enormous amount of slaves in the Roman Empire. 
So the idea that each person is made in the image of God, that each person is given this individuality, it clashed heavily with the society in Rome. And of course, in the modern Western world where slavery is totally frowned upon, it's illegal, it's viewed as immoral, as it should be, it's easy to have our initial response to this be shock and horror. That these Christians there who were in these churches, some of them were slaves. And that's a terrible thought to think that, to think this was their existence. And maybe we'd even think that, you know, as Christians, they should stand up against this injustice. But it's funny that Peter doesn't actually say that. Peter's less concerned with what goes on in the governmental structure of Rome, knowing that that's going to be very difficult to change. That's something that God is going to have to change. And we know from history that several hundred years later, God would change that, and Rome would undergo a dramatic, dramatic change. And through that change, Christianity would explode and spread throughout the whole of Europe and much of the world. But at this point in time, what Peter is concerned about with the people who are in his churches is that they behave themselves, even in their slavery, in a way that glorifies God. What he wants for them to understand is, just because you're a slave, it doesn't mean that your responsibility to obey your Father in heaven changes. You can't do a bad job, even if you serve a harsh master, because your ultimate master is God himself, and all the work that you are doing You're doing unto him and all the mistreatment that you might receive from your earthly master, your sinful earthly master, your heavenly father will repay you for all of it. Peter is passionately concerned with the sanctification of the believers in his churches and with the message of the gospel being spread through their testimony in a fallen and sinful world. And so Peter makes what seems to be a rather obvious statement. If you do something wrong and you're beaten, you get punished. What credit do you have? You got what you had coming to you. You earned the consequences of your sinful actions. But if you suffer for doing good, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That is something that God looks on and says, I am pleased with your suffering. Not I'm pleased that my child is suffering. I'm pleased that you're suffering in obedience to me. And why? Because you're following the example that Christ set for you. Now, Peter is not saying, hey, Jesus suffered, you need to be like Jesus, so go out and find some suffering. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about courting suffering. He's talking about the fact that suffering will inevitably find the believer. Peter knew this because Jesus specifically told his disciples this. In John 15, starting in verse 18, we have a very clear monologue from Jesus explaining to his disciples that they're going to be hated by the world. It says this, it says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father." 
But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So what we have here in First Peter is actually a fulfillment of the words of Jesus. Peter is just doing what Jesus said he would do. He's bearing witness because he was with Jesus. And he's explaining to the believers, listen, when you suffer unjustly for the name of Jesus, that is a gracious thing in God's sight. Your heavenly father approves of you. He looks at you and says, I love you because you suffer for me, because you're suffering for my kingdom, because you're following the example of Jesus Christ, who also suffered, who laid out the ultimate example of suffering. God is not delighting in the pain of his servants. He's not delighting in the suffering of his children. He's delighting in their heart of obedience. Peter knew a thing or two about suffering. If you read the book of Acts, Peter suffered a fair amount. Peter was imprisoned. Peter was beaten. He was mocked. He was dragged in front of the authorities over and over and over again. They tried to kill him. God literally sent an angel to the prison to unchain him from the guards and open the doors and send him out so that they wouldn't execute him the next day. Peter knew a little bit about suffering. Peter had been rejected, he had been mocked, and ultimately Peter was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. This is a man who knew what it was like to suffer for no cause. And even though this passage is written in the context of slaves suffering under an unjust master, it still applies to suffering in all areas of life, suffering unjustly in all areas of life. The bottom line is that as a believer, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your social circle, even in your own church perhaps, you will suffer persecution if you want to live a godly life. Paul said it like this to Timothy. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How could he be so sure of that? How could he be so certain that believers would be persecuted? How could Peter be so certain that he could write these instructions to his churches saying, hey, when you suffer for doing the right thing, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God? Well, see, there's an operative word that Peter uses here in this passage that Jesus also used back in that Matthew passage. And that word is called. Peter says, for to this you have been called. And what he's referring to there is suffering. And what's his reason? Because Christ suffered for you. See, when believers are called to live a life for Christ, just like we talked about in the previous episodes, they are no longer their own. They become servants of Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus, I am forever indebted to him for the work that he did that I could not do. And that's not a bad thing. See, as a result of what he did for me, I have committed my life to serve him. Every believer, true believer, has taken that step. They have given up themselves to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that. That's where true freedom comes from. But the bottom line is that when Jesus calls believers to himself, he gives them the salvation that he has purchased for them on the cross. He calls them to a life of service for him. He guarantees them a future of extravagant hope and joy in the future. But he also calls them to walk through suffering here in this life. A little later on in the book of 1 Peter, Peter's going to go on to say these words. He's going to say, 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And in that text, Peter's just reiterating what he's talking about here. If you suffer for doing good, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. As humans, that's something we need to hear over and over and over again, because we are all averse to suffering. Nobody likes to suffer. It's not an enjoyable thing. And Peter is not saying in this verse, enjoy your suffering. That's not what he's saying. Suffering is going to be difficult. What he's saying is glory in that suffering. It is possible to suffer and yet glory in it. Take, for example, some monumental task that you are trying to accomplish, a task that is very meaningful to you, but the road to accomplish it will require intense suffering. For me personally, being a sports fan, I always kind of think about an athletic analogy here or perhaps a military analogy here. There may be tremendous suffering in training camp or practice or boot camp for the military. It hurts. You're in pain. You don't necessarily feel your best because you're pushing your body to the limits of what it can do. But you glory in that suffering when you're victorious at the final test, whether that's the game or the battle or whatever the final test is, when all of that suffering results in a glorious victory, or even if you're defeated as a team, but you yourself discharge your own duty well, you play well, you serve well, whatever that might be, there's glory in that suffering. It's not that you enjoyed the pain. It's not that you enjoyed the early mornings of getting up and going out for that run or perhaps the 60-mile forced hike with a pack on. But when the test came, you were ready and there was glory in that. That is what Peter is getting at here. He's saying, look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bore the suffering. He laid an example for us to follow. So it's not that suffering is enjoyable. It's that suffering is necessary for the growth of the believer. It's an absolute. It will happen. Why? Because the world hates God. And because you as a believer follow God, the world is going to hate you. But suffering is not without a purpose. Suffering is not for no avail. Your suffering is going to be rewarded by God. And it's going to build strong character and sanctify you because you will be more like Jesus Christ. So as believers, we need to change our paradigm when we look at suffering. We need to welcome it, not because it's fun, not because it's enjoyable, but because our Savior suffered the ultimate shame, pain, torment for us. And because through our suffering, we become sanctified to be more like Jesus. One day, every believer who has ever suffered for the kingdom of God, for the name of Jesus, for being called a Christian, for sharing the message of hope to the world, will stand before the throne of God and be rewarded for their suffering. Don't think for a minute that the suffering that you are going through in your life is unnoticed by God. He sees it. He notices it. He remembers it. And he has promised to reward you for your faithful suffering. He has promised to heal you from the wounds that you incur, that you experience suffering for his kingdom. 
He knows. He's a good father who loves his children. And he will right every wrong and he will recompense every loss for his children when he returns. So as you suffer, as you are called to suffer for God, suffer well. Suffer with the end in mind. Suffer with the reminder that Jesus suffered for you when he did not have to. And remember that he loves you so much that when he returns to call us all, all those who believe in him, to himself, he will recompense you richly beyond what you deserve, beyond what I deserve, for every millisecond of suffering that we endured for him while we walked through this life. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drippings from the Honeycomb. If you would like to learn more about Another 12 Ministries and the work that we are doing to train ministry leaders to bring the gospel to all people, visit another12.org. If you would like to support our ministry, click on the donate link in the description below.